Hey, I'm Debbie. And thanks for checking out this message today. We're glad you're here and we would love to get connected with you and your family. One easy way you can do that is to text River Connect to 97000. You can also visit our website at theriverchurch.cc to learn more about us and some upcoming events. Lastly, if you would like to give to the River Church today, you can text the amount you want to give to 84321, or you can head to our website and click the Give tab at the top of the page. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's message. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the River Church. Glad you're here. If you would, take your Bibles. Go to Matthew chapter number 6. As Roy already said, Trunk or Treat is Saturday, which is crazy to think about. We only have over 800 kids signed up for just here. That's not parents and grandparents. That's 800 kids walking through that line. So really, really excited for that. We, as Roy said, we still can use some candy. We still can use some trunks. We need about 25 more trunks. I think one of the reasons that so many people tell people about the trunk or tree here in Waterford because we do it well. And so we need a few more trunks. And I know some of you are like, you mean I'm going to sit outside for like four hours and love kids and hand out candy and so they'll come and hear about the guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was that guilty enough to say, come on, let's do this, all right? But um, looking forward, uh, really looking forward to that, excuse me, that event. Hope that uh, um, you'll be a part of that. So uh, Matthew chapter number six. Uh, we are in our series, uh, walking through Matthew 6, preaching the Sermon on the Mount, and we're, we're sort of in like a, a mini-series on prayer, that Jesus teaches us how to pray. And the last couple weeks, it's really, you know, it's struck a chord, it's hit a nerve, I feel like. People are, you know, sometimes I preach, you're like, okay, that's good, but this one, as we talk about prayer, I, I'm getting a lot of feedback. I had a 91-year-old lady coming up to me before the 8 o'clock gathering, and she just said, Pastor, thank you for preaching on this. I thought I was alone in struggling to pray. And I thought, she's like, thanks for just being honest and sharing, and uh, we can easily be distracted, can't we? Anybody else? Listen, maybe you're distracted by something. Make sure you're listening here. We can easily be distracted. We are such a distracted culture and can, can, especially when it comes to prayer, just be so easily distracted. And there was such fear. I went and got my hair cut this week and the guy said, Pastor, totally connected with you. I get distracted. One of my favorite lines in a Disney movie uh, is in Up. Uh, you've seen that movie, and there's a, in Up, there's a, uh, this movie, and there's a dog. His name is Doug, and I love Doug, and uh, so he's with people, and they're talking, and all of a sudden, my favorite line, it's one world. He goes, squirrel, 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 squirrel. Oh, why? Because we can be so distracted. And here, we need to come back to this thing of prayer Learn how to pray. Learn how to fight against being distracted, but to say, hey, this is such an amazing thing the Lord has given us that we may boldly come before the throne that the Lord wants to hear from us. So as the disciples turned to Jesus in Luke chapter 11, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. That is so my desire for the next couple weeks that we would learn to pray. One book I read said there's nothing that tells the truth about us as Christian people so much as our prayer life. Everything we do in the Christian life is easier than prayer. 
Ultimately, therefore, a man discovers the real condition of his spiritual life when he examines himself, when he is alone with God. And so this morning, we continue studying prayer. Two weeks ago, Roy preached the sermon as Jesus taught us to pray, and Jesus told us how not to pray. And then last week, really the thought of how to pray, that we pray with, um, not literally, but kind of this figure of thought, we pray with our eyes closed to people. Why? Because we don't pray to people, we pray to the Lord. We pray with our eyes closed to ourself because we can be so focused on self, but we pray with our eyes open to the Lord. Well, today we study as we jump into the Lord's pray, prayer, the thought of what do we pray? What words do we say? Where should my prayer go? So let's pray and we'll dive into God's word. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for everyone that's here. I sure do thank you for slowing me down this week. To take time to realize that when we call upon the name of the Lord, you listen. That you want us to come to you. So, Lord God, we do that this morning. I pray that you'll use this sermon to lead my words. May you be glorified. Thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Here we have the Lord's Prayer. Now, what is this? I believe the Lord's Prayer here, Jesus is giving us a pattern. He's showing us how we should pray. Do I think we should memorize the Lord's Prayer? Yes. Do I think it's important to recite it? Yes. Do I think the Lord, when he gave this to us, was like, I want you to say these exact words day after day. Every time you come together, I want you to recite these words. No, I do not believe that. Now, is it, can this be a part of our prayer life? Yes. But I don't believe the Lord's prayer was given to us so that we would memorize it and say it verbatim over and over again. No, Jesus is teaching us what prayer looks like. Now, I think that for a couple of reasons. One, because when Jesus in in another gospel tells the Lord's Prayer at another time, he doesn't use this verbatim. It's, it's, It's different words. As you keep reading the Bible and get to the epistles, which are the letters written to the church, you never see the church in these letters reciting the Lord's Prayer. Jesus here is giving us a pattern on how to pray. Now, I do want you to be careful because this is not to make prayer mechanical. Some of you think, okay, I have to have adoration in prayer and then thanksgiving and then I got to give, and then I got to, like you can walk through these steps and what happens is prayer can become mechanical. This is a pattern. And so this is not saying every time you pray, you need to do this, 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 walk to, no. We see in the Bible that when people prayed, they prayed at all times. There were, we see examples in the Old Testament and the New Testament that some were habitual. They, they would pray. They would set out certain times to pray. 
And some would pray there would be special occasions or there would be difficulties or they'd pray before prayer or before the meal and then some prayed after the meal and then some prayed in, in, like in between the meal. We see prayer is good anytime. We're, we're supposed to right, nonstop be praying to the Lord, going to him. So be careful. You don't go, every time I pray, I've got to start with this pattern. That's not what it is. But it is understanding what prayers to look like. And this so helps us to, to center on how we are called to pray. You'll find as you study the Lord's Prayer that it will be contrary to many of the, much of the church talk when it comes to prayer. One guy said, prayer, true prayer, centers on God's glory, not on man's needs. It is not simply to lay a claim of God promises or to make a demand of him, but to acknowledge his sovereignty, his rule, his holiness, and to see the display of his glory and to obey his will. This is the prayer we're called to. But again, it comes back to, at least it comes back to me. We so are in the fast lane of life. Like one guy said, the fast lane of life. It's like, okay, I got to pray. Hold on, okay, I'm going to pray real quick. Okay, good, good. And then we get back into the fast lane of life. And I'm so thankful studying this that I feel like the Lord said, hey, just slow down. Think about being with me. What this is about. So here... In the Lord's Prayer, we have six petitions, six prayer requests made. This week, we'll study the first three, and then next week, we'll study the last three. The first three, though, they're requests that have to do with God's glory. And then the last three are requests that really deal with our well-being. So here we see these six petitions. But Jesus starts out the prayer and tells us how to pray. He first says, Our Father in heaven. Now, Jesus says, here's how you pray. Our Father. Now, the first two words, we could spend a two-hour sermon just on these first two words. We won't do that. Don't worry. Some of you are freaking out, right? It's okay. Our Father. When he says these things, when he's on that hill, that mountain, and he's speaking, Jesus, when he says this, It is shocking for the people who hear it. It is absolutely revolutionary what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, hey, when you pray, you stop, you say, our father. And people there are going, what? Our our father? See, in the Old Testament, I believe it's 14 times it addresses God as father. There's, what, 39 books in the Old Testament, right? Anybody with me? Is it 39? Come on, Awana people. Come on, let's go. 14 times it addresses God as Father and usually as, as creator or over the nation. But Jesus here blows people's mind and goes, Hey, I want to show you the personalness that God has with you. When you pray, say, Our Father. This is how Jesus prayed. When you read the Gospels. Every time, I believe every time he prays, he calls upon 
his father. There's one place pointed out in scripture where it's like Jesus prays here and he doesn't use our father, but I, I think it's together in a prayer. He's on the cross. He is quoting scripture from the Old Testament. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is the only time. And then he ends in his last words on the cross. What does he say? He says, Jesus, Father. Jesus says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus is blowing their minds. Just as he has done throughout the whole Sermon on the Mount. Remember, they're sitting there and Jesus is talking and they can, they're just going, wait a minute. The Pharisees? are not in line with God? Wait a minute. You're telling me rich people can't buy their way into heaven? Wait, you're telling me just if if my acts are good, but my mind is a mess, I'm in sin? Jesus, you're saying, blessed are the poor and the meek and the humble and the persecuted? See, at the end of this sermon, they are so blown away. They say, nobody talks like Jesus. That's what they get to the end of chapter 7. They said, he is not like the scribes or the Pharisees. He speaks with authority. What are they saying? Nobody speaks the truth. Nobody says what Jesus says. And he says, when you pray, pray our Father. Now, Jesus uses the Aramaic word, Abba, which if you've grown up in church, you've heard many people have referred to that as daddy. But I've, I've honestly, I've struggled with that, that thought daddy. And I was reading, I uh, came across the guy and he said, with, with daddy, he says, I don't think that's the right fit. Because yes, God is our father, but we in our culture, the word daddy loses the reverence that Jesus deserves. And so this man defined it as He says, I think the best definition is dearest father. That there is a relationship. It is personal. It is loving. But it is this dearest father. Now, as I normally do when I preach a sermon, I'll I'll, I'll read. I'll then study. I'll listen to some, you know, guys that I, pastors that I trust preach on this. And I was listening to Alistair Begg. He's a preacher in Ohio. He's preaching on the subject of our father. And the sermon I listened to was uh, about 25 years old. And Alistair came to this spot. He said, I think in the next 10 years, and boy was he right, that there is going to be great fight when it comes to calling God our Father. He said the greatest area which the cause of the gospel will be fought in the next 10 years is gender and sexuality. And he talked about how there are now some Bibles using like this inclusive language that you'll come to the spot and they'll say, our Father and Mother who art in heaven. So if you have a Bible that says that, you throw that one away and we'll get you a good translation. Because when the Bible talks about our Father, He is teaching us why God is the creator of family. God is the creator. And so when He says Father, He wants us to see and to picture. And in our culture, we see, right, the family being destroyed, dads running away. Why? Because Satan wants to destroy any image of what a father should be. 
see that God, Jesus, over and over again points to the Father. The first person of the Trinity is, is the Father. And I love what Alistair Begg said. He said, we dare not tamper with God's self-revelation in order to please the demands of contemporary society. And you will find there are false churches who will just flat out say, we like the Bible, but when we get to places in the Bible we don't like, we're just going to say they're not true. And so they come to a passage like this and go, now we're going to change this to what we have. It's evil and wrong. And so here, our Father, Jesus reveals to us that we pray to our dearest Father, but also understand that not everyone is a child of God. Jesus clearly says in John 8, 44, when they're stand, coming up against Jesus, Jesus says, you are of your father, the devil. That we know to be adopted in the family of God, there needs to be this great change in our life. Colossians 1 explains that, that we will be taken out of this realm and translated or transformed into another realm to be adopted, to become children of God. That's why John 1.12 says, But to all who did receive him, Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Over and over, Galatians 3.26, For in Christ Jesus you are now sons of God through faith. To quote a book, Jesus gives us this intense practical experience and he taught his disciples to pray with the same intimacy one pastor said it like this he said knowing god as father brings confidence and security and wholeness and i pause there because there are some of you in here when we talk about father it doesn't do any of that when you hear first father, you, you struggle to find that. And, and Jesus wants you to know that in him as father, you can have confidence and security and wholeness. The pastor went on to say, knowing God as father is a sign of our spiritual health to be able to sit with him. And knowing God as father is one of the most healing doctrines in all of scripture. To rest with the dearest father. A while ago, while I was wasting time on my phone, flipping through videos, anybody's time doing that stuff? Came across the video of a child. It was Christmas Day. The family was gathered around the family room and they were opening presents. And watching the video, I remember seeing the kid open the present. When he opened it, you couldn't quite see what it was, but you knew it wasn't a toy. What it was when this child opened up the gift, it had papers in it that says, you are now adopted into this family. And you watch the video and the child began to cry. You see the parent come and wrap their arms around him to go, hey, you're not homeless. You're not alone. You are loved. You are claimed. You have a family. This is what adoption is in Jesus. This is what it's that we can look to the Father. Listen, you're not alone. The Christ loves you. God sent his son Jesus and died on the cross. 
You're not homeless. You may know God as your father, and it is the best adoption. So one pastor asked, do you know the father? Do you think of him and address him as your dearest father? And if he can't, why? Is it maybe revealing that you don't know that personal relationship with Christ? Maybe it's revealing some hurt and some pain that, man, you need people in the church to come around you and care for you. That's why we have growth communities. That's why we have mentoring. But Jesus begins the prayer, our Father who art in heaven. And here we come to the first petition, hallowed be your name. Now, a little side note, it's not hollow, it's hallow, get it? It's not like you're, you're praying to the empty God, right? Like, that's not what we're saying. Roy and I joked about this. I don't know where he's at. Uh, the KJV, we grew up on that. So it's like, hallow it. You know, like for some reason you have to say it just to make sure you don't get it. But hallow be your name. This is a petition to the Lord. Hallow means to give reverence or awe or honor or adoration to define it, this, this Greek word means to, to make holy. God is acknowledged as being holy. It's to attribute to God the holiness that already is and already has been his holy glory and to obey him. This first petition is holy, Lord. May we praise you as the holy God. Hebrews 12, 28, it says, Therefore, let us be grateful, receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Here, it says, Hallow be your name. Jesus says the, the petition we need to make to the Lord when we think about prayer, it's about coming to our dearest Father, but then knowing He is holy. He is righteous. Hallowed be thy name. It doesn't mean the, the, like how we think of name. It means hallowed be the character of God. All of who God is. May we worship Him that way. That is why we cannot change or, or manipulate just to go, and, well, I don't like this about God, so I want to change that. Because when we change who God is, when what we think about God doesn't line up with the Bible, that's called blasphemy. In the Old Testament, when we have the Ten Commandments, it says, don't take the Lord's name in vain. What does this mean to swear? To swear means when we don't give reverence to God and when we come to God looking at him something that he is not. Listen, there are some Christian songs I will not listen to. Why? Because they don't give reverence to the name of God. They take his name flippantly and just whatever, and I can't listen to that. And so to give honor to his name, the title that represents his character. In other words, let your name be made holy. 
And oh, do we live in a culture that has unworthy ideas about who God is. That he is blessed, one said, eternal, absolute, almighty God. It takes me back to the Old Testament in Exodus. In Exodus chapter 3, you can read it this week, where Moses comes before the Lord in the burning bush. And the Lord says, hey, stop. Take off your shoes. For where you are standing is holy. It just reminds me, any of you grew up in a home where you always had to take off your shoes at the door? Anybody? Like whenever I would come home, like if I'd bring friends over, they'd start walking in the house with the shoes. We'd be like, hey, wait, wait, wait. No shoes in this house, right? Stop. What are you doing? You just walk around here. Right, mom? No shoes in the house. Uh-huh. I still come to the house today. Okay, take off your shoes. All right, that's what you do. But there's this sense of thinking like, hey, when we come before the Lord, don't take it flippant. Hey, stop. whoa, 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 stop. Who you are talking to is the almighty God. To slow and to stop in a sense, take your shoes off because he is holy. I read one that said, let us never toy with God's name. And that just got my brain thinking, like, to treat God as a toy, to not treat him as he should, to remind me of a movie. And if you've been around, I don't use movies a lot because I'm not a movie guy, but there was this movie about 30 years old and came out in 93 called The Sandlot. Um, So the movie The Sandlot, I'll try to catch some of you up who haven't seen it. Some of you are like, of course I've seen it. It's wonderful. But it's a movie that takes place in 1963 with a bunch of the boys in the neighborhood. They play backyard baseball. And that's something I think about, like over there on Pauline Street, the end of the road, there was a vacant lot, and that's where we play. We play backyard baseball. You get everybody together in the sub, and you would play baseball. And so that's what these kids did. They made up this field, and they would play baseball. And a new kid moved into the sub, and he wasn't that gritty baseball kid. And he moved in the sub, and... It's like, you know what? So he started going to the field with the kids and started getting better and better and, and uh, started, okay, he started getting better at baseball and liking baseball. But at the baseball field where they were at, um, the, the home run fence backed up to a yard that had a massive dog. So if the ball ever got hit over the fence into that yard, it was bye-bye baseball. They just, it's gone. We're going to, it's just over. And so they'd try to, they'd have to get another baseball. And so they came to a place where they didn't have any more baseballs. So the new kid in the sub thought, oh, oh, there's a baseball in my house. I'll go get it. So he ran back to the house, grabbed a baseball, came, and they're like, you're the man. And they started playing baseball until they hit it over the fence. And when they hit it over the fence, the boy went, oh, that was, that, that was my dad's baseball. I, we, we have to get, that's my dad's baseball. They're like, okay, we'll just go get another one. And he's like, we can't go get another one because that baseball was some kind of special thing. There was something written on it. I think it said Babe Ruth. <laughs> now, 1030, some of you are like, I know, who's Babe Ruth? A great ba- baseball player, best ever, you know, amazing. Uh, like the Michael Jordan of baseball, okay? Just some of you, some of you are like, the people don't know who Babe Ruth is? No, no, they don't know who it is. But, uh, so Babe Ruth had signed that. 
And when the baseball kids realized what had happened, they looked at the kid and they're like, the ball was signed by Babe Ruth? You brought that onto the field? And I, I love in the movie, the, the, the kid who's you know, just moved in, didn't know baseball, he looked at him and goes, yeah, who is she? <laughs> so what do they do? They look at him and go, you don't know who that is? And they begin to say, it's, it's Babe Ruth, the Sultan of Swat, the Colossus of Clout, the King of Crash. And then all of a sudden, go, the kid slows down and goes, the Great Bambino. What does he do? He names off all the characteristics that describe Babe Ruth. Go, you took that ball, we did what? That, that's not what it's for. And to a greater extreme, when we toy around with God, And not realizing he is the holy, righteous, good God. Yes, he is our dearest father. But may we learn to slow down and go, God, you're holy. May I take off my shoes. May I focus on you and give you praise. And go, hey, when my mind starts running away, God, I'm going to fight to bring back and to sit with you. And to worship the holy, righteous God. See, all through the Bible, it gives us names of the Lord. He is the creator. We have Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. Jehovah Shalom, which means the Lord is our peace. And you can go on and on. The Lord of the righteous, the God is our rock, our peace, our shepherd, our righteousness. God is ever-present one who will never lead us nor forsake us. This is the name of the Lord. This is his character. He is to be worshipped. Now one thing as I studied this, hallowed be thy name, I came to a new understanding of this because whenever I would read the Lord's Prayer before, I would just go, okay, our Father art in heaven, okay, he's holy, holy is his name, but that's not what, this is a petition. When you look into the Greek, this is a petition that says, may, may, We worship you as the Holy One. May we give praise to you. And that so struck me because that is our desire, or it's at least what the desire of our church should be. That we would pray, God, I pray our church will give you praise, that we'll view as holy. God, I pray more that our community. We'll start to see you and know you. And our community will praise you as the holy, hollow God you are. That's why we do trunk or treat. right? We come together because what do we want? We want people to give God glory. It's not looking to go, hey, we got this many people or to hand out say, you know, salvation tags. No, no, no. We want people to know the holy God, the dearest father, and go, man, let us Glorify and worship him. That's the desire. Read in Romans this week in just a verse and just a paraphrase of this verse. I thought it was so helpful. That Paul said, through Christ, God has given us the privilege and the authority as apostles to tell Gentiles everywhere what God has done for them. So that they will believe and obey him, bringing glory to his name. Here Jesus says, let me teach you how to pray. Dearest Father in heaven, we pray that your holiness, that we will worship 
your name who you are. And then he says, your, your kingdom come, thy kingdom come. One defined kingdom of God, which I thought was very good. It, it means the reign of God. It means the law and the rule of God. When we think about prayer, we ask God, your kingdom come. That as a believer in Christ, we desire that God's kingdom will reign. And it's going to. Right? The, the, Jesus is coming back and we studied it. I won't take you all through the Revelation series, but we know the kingdom is going to be set up that everyone will fall under the rule and reign of God. But here it says there should be this longing for God's kingdom to come. Just like in Revelation when John said that he prays, Come, Lord Jesus. Revelation eleven fifteen says, Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. We pray for his kingdom to come. Now some have taken this, your kingdom come, and they've, you, they, they've uh, interpreted it in the wrong way. Some have said, well, with the kingdom, what we're supposed to do, that we're as Christians, we're to gradually, like, Christianize everything, and then the world will slowly, you know, evil will be decreased, and then we'll finally turn into a, a Christian world. That's not what the Bible says. Just read Re the book of Revelation. Here it's saying we're praying. We know Christ will come back. We're praying for his kingdom come. But also with this, and MacArthur says it this way, I think it's helpful. It says, there is also a sense in which we pray for God's kingdom to come presently. In, in a present and limited but real and miraculous way, asking for God's kingdom to come. See, when somebody comes to know Christ as their Savior, this is you know, God's kingdom comes. When Jesus came here to earth, right? John the Baptist talked, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is Christ. So we're praying for the kingdom of God to come, that people would be saved, but also that we would, we would have kingdom living. That those of us who know Christ, we already fall under his rule and reign, don't we? That here on earth we go, man, I, I'm here to follow Jesus now. And so we obey him and honor him. We want to be a part of kingdom living now. Colossians 1.13 says it so well. It says it this way. In a letter written to the church, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in which we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I'm so glad I've been transferred to the kingdom of his dear son. So we pray for this kingdom. And then lastly, dear Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Lastly, thy will be done. See that prayer it brings us to a place where we come under the Lord. 
Maybe for some of you that really changes your thought of prayer. But prayer is when we humble ourselves and go, God, you are good. May you not align with me, but may I align with you. And so your will be done. After the eight o'clock gathering, I, I love just having honest conversation with people. But a man came up to me and said, Pastor, at the end of my prayer, I pray your will be done, but sometimes that terrifies me. Why? Because when we pray your will be done, we're praying that our flesh will be conquered. When we pray your will be done, those things we're saying, no, God, whatever is in me that isn't right, may you crush that. And that can be terrifying. And oh, how the Lord needs to crush some things in my life sometimes to go, hey, my will is way better than your will. So we come to a place where we pray for his will to be done. That thy name, thy kingdom, thy will. So one book put it this way. said, thy will be done is to rebel against the world's idea that sin is normal and inevitable and should be therefore tolerated and excused. It is to rebel against the world's system of ungodliness and the dishonoring and the rejection of Christ and also the disobedience of believers. So some of you Star Wars people perked up because I said, we're called to be rebels. I hear you. You're like, oh, wait, I can be a rebel. Yes, that if we know Christ, this world, this, this world, who does it say? It says, Satan is the prince of this world, the God of this world. This world is a world of darkness. We don't belong. And so when we're in this world, what happens? We are rebels. We rebel against it. We say, hey, what the world says is okay. And it's just going to happen. We go, nope, we want the Lord's will. So the Lord calls us to pray for his will. And just a side note, I think some people pause and go, well, the Lord's will is going to happen. Why should I pray? No, the Lord's will doesn't always happen. It gives you a choice. The truth is, did the Lord's will happen in your life this week? Do we go, hey, I want the Lord's will for my life. Now, ultimately, like the sovereign God, he is coming back, his plan, but he In our lives, right, we have a choice. Are you going to follow the Lord, follow his will, or will you run your own path? So don't pause and pray and go, well, what's going to happen is going to happen. No. That's why it's so important to see there is power in prayer. You go to the Lord, things change. And now some of you go, well, the Lord, I mean, it's all, I mean, God knows everything that's going to happen. He does But he says, hey, I am telling you, prayer changes things. Come to me, seek me, ask, and it shall be given for my glory. It changes things. And so do we believe it or not? I'm so thankful the Lord's slowing me down. So thankful. So I'm studying this. 
is pulling me out of the fast lane. Helping me to remember and to realize my dearest father. Bringing me back to a place where I am humbled because he is holy and I am not. Coming to a place where I pray for his kingdom to come, not my kingdom. Praying for his will in my life. This is how the Lord teaches us to pray. And if you know him, may may you like me have conviction this week to run back to him in prayer. Will you stand with me, please? If you're here this morning and the Holy Spirit has opened up your heart to the dearest Father, the Bible tells us that God sent his son Jesus to this earth and he died on the cross and rose again. And that only through trusting Jesus as our Lord and Savior, accepting the cross of Jesus, that Jesus went to and died because of our sins. If we will repent of our sins and trust Jesus, he will save us and we will be adopted children of God. Maybe this morning the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart that you've never truly done that. Right where you're at, bow your head in prayer. Bow your head in prayer and say, Jesus, I believe in you. Forgive me of all my sin. I believe you died on the cross and rose again and saved me. And you will. Let us pray. Dearest Father, we praise you and thank you. May you continue to mold us and shape us. Thank you for your Father who loves us and disciplines us and cares for us. May we worship you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.